Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a bit of an eye opener in a way, won't it? Yeah. So yeah. People will perhaps get disappointed. They're really excited about this drug. Yeah. They're going to have a lot of cats that are screened out before and they're not eligible. Yeah. And then maybe they're under pressure from an owner who perhaps doesn't want to give insulin. Right. And they may right. make decisions at home. Right. 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 Sorry for saying Sorry Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hi, this is Dr. Susan Little. Did you? Yeah, and this is Dr. And this is the Purr Podcast. I, you know, I, I even hesitated with my own name. You know, I have it, never it, seen it, you do that it before. It's off of me. Oh, yes. Just, so, thank you very much, Dr. Susan. Did you know these my FM books? I've been working on an FM radio. You know, FM radio. They would be so proud of you. Um, probably. Right. I hope so. But this is the second week, and we uh, end <laughs> with a cliffhanger. Um, and I can't remember what question it was, but it was a really good question. <laughs> so we were starting to dig in to the the new oral drug for treating diabetes mellitus in cats, uh, which is <laughs> bexaglyphosin or similar name. Um, uh, we should mention there is only one drug on the market so far. And so its trade name is Bexacat, which I find much easier to pronounce. Yes. yes. Yeah, like, so like now I understand that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Were you wondering why it's called Bexacat? Uh, yes, no, 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 I was wondering how I could remember <laughs> that long name, and now no, I, I have the solution. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. Back to cat. Yeah. So we ended last week talking about patient selection, and um, I, I think it's a good point to emphasize that insulin isn't going away because there will be cats that are not suitable to go on exactly. uh, healthy diabetic yes. alarms, and yeah. it needs to be early diagnosis, right there. Yeah, um, I mean, that's new diagnosis. Let's say new because, yeah, that's why I hesitate, right? Because uh, early diagnosis in diabetic cats is not, doesn't happen very, very often. And so, in fact, some of these cats, I'm sure, are flipping in and out of hyperglycemia over months and months and months. It wouldn't and surprise follow, me. You know, I followed some of them with um, continuous glucose marshal. Yeah. And you can and you see them doing that. Yeah. And you can look at the percentage time there. Ah, uh, within target, high and very high, and actually see that progressive. Just, and That's very there. cool. Yeah. So the cats at risk of diabetes, maybe not having any symptomatology at all. Yeah. But you know. the interesting thing is ah. that because, you know, the other, which I didn't mention, the other love of my life in endocrinology was its phenomenon. No, I didn't. I did a lot of research on it, but you know, and we just came up with the incident of my paper in cats, which took a long time to get because of this. But um, the, with insulinomas, too, it's, it's such a long process, and these animals they get so used to, right. you know, and adapt to that low blood sugar. I know, and it's crazy that and you have a blood sugar of 40 and they're looking at you like this. Yeah, yeah as if something is wrong. It's, it's like cats that progressively get anemic, right? right. Like they'll walk in the door at 11, and yeah. you're like, yeah. how can you walk in the door with a PCD at 11? But, but the, the amazing of the body being so adaptable that they're really low or they're really high, you know, they seem to be able to deal with it for a while, yeah. but then at a certain point it just crashes. Right. Right. And hopefully they'll crash, hopefully they show some clinical signs. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. Yeah. So 
Yeah, so not that I want to talk about insulinomas, but you made me think of something. So with insulinomas, what makes them crash? Is the insulinoma producing more insulin over time? Or do they just run out of the ability to reg regulate themselves? Like what? what the EMC is different because the cap we don't know. I mean, okay. at least there's so little known about the cap, yeah. so rare. Okay. But in in dogs, it often is another insult that is oh, I see. flu, and it could be stress, it could be a lot of whatever it is, and that that tips them over. Okay. And, and yeah. you know, when they get that low, I mean, they get epileptic seizures, yeah. or they start with tremors and that sort of things. But if you just let it go, then they're full, and then people want to do something, you know. But then their nodules are getting bigger and sometimes right. they're metastasizing. And, right. and so, oh, okay. you know, so so those, that could those be insulin too. concentrations do go up. It's interesting to see that even that what, what I thought was, was just amazing is that you can have a very, very small insulin with no metastasis and huge levels. Mm -hmm. And then you have a dog that's completely metastasized and it's just, you know. Not as much as you think it should be. Nice. That makes sense, right? Because maybe right. those cells aren't as those right. aren't as differentiated. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. So the METS itself might not, I mean, you know, of course they're really important because the, the treatment is so different. Mm -hmm. So if you have just a solitary nose, you take it out. Most of these dogs do really good. And if you have metastasis that are producing, they don't. Um, but yeah. It, it's like thyroid carcinomas. You know, right. the well-differentiated ones right. have the high T4s right. and the better prognosis. And then right. the poorly differentiated ones, right. you know. Yeah, although we, we normally say with this lungs, the dogs are almost always poorly differentiated. If you look. But, uh, so. Let's yeah. rain it back to cats. Yeah, yeah. Let's rain it back to cats. Yeah, yeah. Let's go back to Mexicat. So, yeah. So, we were talking about uh, how patient selection is important. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it's just worth mentioning that again, because these drugs are really meant to be given to a, a patient, human or whatever, who still has some insulin, right? Right. right. So if we have, and so here's, so here's another conundrum. So, uh, you know, you can imagine that's like, well, how do I tell who's insulin dependent and who's not? But I think that's part of the reasoning behind seeing um, newly diagnosed diabetics, right? Because, yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. So, I, yeah, I think it's important to kind of under, uh, explain that and why, um, uh, why does the product, you know, label say that? Mm -hmm. right? My question last week was, does this now become the panacea or yes. do we still need to use anything else? And we already answered that, that a lot of cats that have diabetes right now or like for a long time, they'll be still be using insulin probably. Right. And, and so what about food and all the other stuff? really replace like adjunctive stuff like well i shouldn't say that so uh so let me ask you so we're used okay, to let her answer first I'm asking, <laughs> yeah. i want to ask first so i want to narrow this down um we're used to putting diabetic cats who are on insulin hopefully on a diabetes management diet right, right. so how does that work with well, cat? and i don't think we know yeah because okay. the studies didn't specifically yes. require they didn't require it but many of the cats were on that but if you drill down and look at the data, it's really hard to yeah. tell in a breakout those cats that were fed specifically a low-carb carbohydrate diet versus not. Yeah. Um, right. So what would you recommend then? Going on one for now? I, do. Or, I yeah, do. For but, the time being. Yes, but yeah. I don't know that you know there's hard evidence that that's yeah. important. Right. I think we're going to have, hopefully there'll be a lot of post-approval studies that will look at that. Right. Because um, we don't know really how long some cats, we certainly know cats can be on this drug for a long period of time. But we don't know how long. Mm. Um, and and there certainly are certainly cats that that develop 
that, that are not suitable for it. And we know that right away when they're, when they're, when we start treatment, you know, they immediately become diabetic ketoacidotic patients, mm. small subset. But then over time, there are other cats that over time, you can see their glucose is going up and their fructosamines going up and they start to lose weight again and then their ketones go up. So there are cats that fail, you know, further out. Yeah, but that yeah. sounds like a pretty serious side effect. Yeah. Well, it is. <laughs> yeah. so that's because you know that, that everybody's, of course, really happy with the drug, but, you know, it also gets mentioned. That the details in the serious, details. Right. So the good thing is you don't have to worry about hypoglycemia. <laughs> right. The bad thing is you have to worry about diabetic ketoacidosis right. and specifically euglycemic diabetic ketoacidosis. And can you explain it a little bit for the audience? Yeah. So that? because these cats are receiving the SGLT2 inhibitor, right. they are still glucosuric and their blood glucose still may not be well controlled. Right. But they're struggling because they can they're making ketones and they can't right. cope with the increased ketones. Right. And so they may come in as a sick cat. And if you were to measure a blood sugar, it would be within reference range. Right. Or certainly not very, you know, yeah, maybe it would be impressive. Little, not an yeah. impressive number. Right. And so many veterinarians might not even think diabetic ketoacidosis may not right. even think to check ketones. Right. And so one of the big things I believe that um, anybody using this drug in a cat should have access to is to be able to measure serum ketones, ketones. yeah um, specifically beta hydroxybutyrate yeah. right. there, there are like um you know portable patient side monitors yes there those. are quite a few yes. what, the only one that i think has been validated in cats is the precision precision, precision. extra yeah. meter that's made by abbott um yeah interestingly that also measures glucose yes yes, like, yes. Hasn't been, like glucose has been validated which is odd which is odd yeah yeah, yeah so that's a really it's a very important point because it i don't think that you know it, it's just not logical when you see the patient itself. We're not used to thinking that, exactly. and it looks so, so nice. You have to adapt yeah. your, your paradigm a little yeah. bit, your yeah. paradigm thinking, yeah. to be able to pick that up. And because ketoacidosis is such a serious disease, you don't want to pick up too. Right. Right. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this class of drugs in people, I think they've seen you by seeing ketoacidosis yeah. as well. And they also were not prepared for it when it, right. these drugs first came out. Yeah. Right. And they were, right. you know, there were people who missed it. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, I mean, and the people have to understand that it's not just diagnosing the euglycemic diabetic ketoacidosis, it's realizing that you're going to be starting that euglycemia cat out on insulin. Yes. And right. that's from so now on. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the conundrum, right? He needs insulin. He needs yes. to stop his, uh, his oral drug. He needs to go on insulin. Uh, but I think the part we're not used to is the fact that they are going now to need dextrose. Correct. Yeah. Right. So they can use a Regular protocol, but yeah. you sort of start at the yeah. now your blood sugars down below two fifty. Yes. Add in dextrose. Yes. So I guess you really look at them like they are hypoglycemic in a way, right? Even though they're not, um, the shift is that you're going to use dextrose in these guys yeah. when you they're not hypoglycemic. They're not hypoglycemic. No, no. But what what I meant was if you think of them like a diabetic who is hypoglycemic, then you know that cat yeah. needs dextrose. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I meant. Is yeah. this cell hypoglycemic then? I mean, it's the that's the because you give to dextrose. The cell hypoglycemic. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the thought process that you want because you know there's something why they need their sugars. I'm not sure you're going with that either, because their their issue isn't glucose. Their issue is ketones. I know, but why are the ketones produced? From the ketones are produced because of the effect of, of um, glucagon 
Right. On the liver, so they tend to have really high glucagon concentrations. Right. Mm -hmm. They're deficient in insulin. Yes. Yeah. Um, but so what? What probably what's happening? And again, correct me if I'm wrong. Those cats that do develop ketoacidosis, and they tend to do it within the first few weeks on the drug, mostly, don't they? Mostly, like, mostly, yeah, mostly, not exclusively, but mostly. So, so to me, that's a marker for you need insulin, right? It's a right. bit. It's a marker that right. says you have no insulin on board, right? So you have to think of them right. that way. They're, they're, they're yeah. an insulin-dependent diabetic who's not getting insulin. Right, and so it's a much smaller amount of insulin that you need to control ketones yeah. than to control right. the blood sugar. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm just going back in my mind, but because everything has a feedback loop in endocrinology. Yeah. So there is something that tells somebody up there that, you know, we need to produce more glucose. They're, they're just, so. they're a diabetic who's not, the, the, the level of the glucose is normal, so that's not the trigger. But the level of the endogenous insulin exactly. is... Yeah, it's is not about the glucose. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other part of that is one of the things that precipitates the diabetic ketoacidotic crisis right. in some of these cats is concurrent illness. Mm -hmm. right. A big one may be pancreatitis, a big one. Um, hepatic okay. lipidosis if they stop eating for right. a few days. So right. yeah. anorexia is another big trigger right. for, right. for glucagon. Yeah, so they're there, and you know, hence why the recommendations are for fairly intensive monitoring for I think first eight weeks at yeah, least, right? Yeah. yeah. And recommendations that you don't treat a cat with overt pancreatitis, you don't treat a cat if its yeah. beta hydroxybutyrate levels are already yeah. like greater than thirty-seven milligrams per decimeter. With any cat that you start this on, do you do your ketones before you? I would, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think you should. And, and I, that's how the study was designed. It was designed like that, so they screened out cats that yeah. would have had elevated levels. And the same with pancreatitis, at least we ran PLIs. Mm -hmm. Because you know, I, I know when these new drugs comes out, everybody and, 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 and will use it, but they will not do all the stuff that they need. Well, it's very true, but um, there may be some not very good consequences from that. If you go back and look at the Freedom of Information, material that the company has and you look at the data from the pilot study mm -hmm. the reason that the that the definitive study the pivotal study pivotal. was designed to to rule out pancreatitis and to right. decrease bhb was, was because, because of the, of the pilot, pilot study right yeah so, so it was right. lesson learned right, right right no and that's it, it it's just i i want to emphasize this on this podcast yeah. because when new drugs come out yeah. Everybody yeah. and their brother will use yeah. it, and they will not think about this. And because it is difficult to recognize, too, you know, the, the normal glucose level, but there are mm. still ketoacidotic, yeah. I think that's the risk. And then when you catch them too late, I mean, that... But that backs us up to good patient selection, right? So it's going to mean veterinarians doing some things they probably ordinarily wouldn't have done, like check checking a beta hydroxybutyrate. I mean, we don't normally do that, right, in a newly diagnosed diabetic. And I know, I mean, um, um, I have I have run PLIs and other things on those guys because even with insulin, you know, right, if there's concurrent disease, you need to know that sooner or later. But it will be important for this drug that they start looking at things like PLIs. Right, and I think the thing that people forget because they may not be running those routinely in diabetic cats is that, a positive FPI um, PLI, uh, PLI <laughs> will is very very common. Like fifty percent of newly yeah. diagnosed diabetic cats have some elevation, have some elevation yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a bit of an eye opener in a way, won't it? Yeah, so yeah. People will perhaps get disappointed. They're really excited about this drug, yeah. but 
they're going to have a lot of cats that are screened out before they're not eligible. Yeah. And then maybe they're under pressure from an owner who perhaps doesn't want to give insulin. Right. And they may right. make decisions at home. Right. Like, right. 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 You said that you need less insulin for ketones. What? You need what less you insulin to control ketones than glucose right. regulation. So you're taking them off the oral drug, don't you? So yes. You mean if they're in a ketone right. crisis? Right. Yeah. So you, oh, get, okay. you get a okay. case like that. Yeah. It is on the oral drug. You stop. You, you stop. You yeah. stop. Absolutely. But then you probably need to increase your insulin again. Well, you need to start insulin. Oh, so, start right? Yeah. yeah. So these cats. Oh, no. No, no I see what you're saying. Just go for the. Well, it would be an enormous. So you would right. do, treat them like a diabetic. Like, right. like, right. Exactly. Yeah, one, one unit per kilogram. Yeah. Right. You treat them like the Vexa cat yeah. never happens, right? right? Yeah. You're just starting. And then once good you, then you transition them to whatever your you know favorite insulin right. is. Yeah. You open the door. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I will usually start with protein. Um, I, I, you know, there's a lot of dis, 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 lot of uh, disagreement about prosing versus glycine. I like to start with prosing mainly because I've had good experience. With yep. that insulin, and because it's a veterinary labeled drug, oh, and I think right. we really need to try. You are use really veterinary label. Like, more veterinary label drugs. If you don't use them, yeah. This yeah. is my soapbox yeah. too. Yeah. I'm like, so what are the like, differences between the two? Between prozinc and guardine. Yeah. Well, and prozinc is a veterinary labeled insulin, so it's right. 40 units per mil. Right. Um, it's um, it's actually a human recombinant insulin. But it's manufactured for use in cats yeah. and dogs out now. Um, Glargine, and it, and it works by you know precipitating at the site of injection right. um, due to the effect of the zinc and the protein, and it slowly leaches out. Mm. Um, Glargine is a human analog insulin, so it's right. modified insulin, and it's modified to um, be more soluble in an acid pH. So it's actually a solution, mm. not a suspension. Yes, and so then it looks different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Clear. So, and then when you inject it into um, the, uh, the slightly higher pH, it mm. micro precipitates out and again reaches from right. the, the side of deposition. Mm -hmm. um, but that's going to be 100 units per mil. Mm. Um, and then some practical differences. Um, it's much more expensive. Um, yeah, less so in Canada, but mm -hmm. um, uh, but still, yeah. right? So yeah. cost is is a factor, mm. and um, Often we found that cats on glargine, um, a lot of cats need small doses. It's very hard to measure with a 100 unit. Right. Right. Almost impossible. Oh, to absolutely. Yeah. Whereas absolutely. with a 40 insulin, yes, you can. You can. Yeah. 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 So I, I think those are under recognized thoughts. Um, and I think people tend to be frozen people yeah. or glargine people. Absolutely. When I lecture, I always ask people, so how many people use glargine? And it varies. Yeah, you know, some it groups, it's like they're all glargine. They're all, yeah. yeah. It varies. Yeah. I think that um, there really is not good evidence. A lot of people use glargine because they think it puts, it's more likely to put cats, cats into diabetic condition. They think that, but they I'm think, not but sure that I'm that's not, true. I don't think we have good evidence. Yeah. The papers are weak that, that show that, and um, there isn't a good. Yeah. What, there's one study that never was got beyond abstract form. Right. Um, the other studies... You had eight cats in each group. Yeah. So I think yeah. the data to support that is yeah. um, pretty small. You know, pretty my, weak. my feeling is I I don't think there is a best insulin for cats, right? And so I usually tell veterinarians you should be prepared to try more than one insulin because mm -hmm. there's patient differences yeah. too. Yeah. 
And actually, I mean, I will have some cats that I start on Vetsalin, and I typically will start cats out on Vetsalin if they have some other known concurrent illness. Okay. Like I know if they've got pancreatitis or heart disease or something right. that's making them more insulin resistant right. because it's slightly more potent. Um, oh, so, yeah, so sometimes, not that I get to treat too many naive diet cats. No, but that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, That's another yeah. interesting um, factor to help you make your yeah. choice. Because long duration of action and potency are inversely related. Mm -hmm. So the longer yeah. acting, the less potent. Oh, I, I, I like that thought. And I, ju I just want to interject that um, you said Vetsalin. So um, the, the product is called Vetsalin in the U.S. and I think the rest of the world it's called Canninsulin. Can yeah. 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 So yeah. I just wanted yeah. to make, we're talking yeah. about the same insulin. Yeah. yeah. What is the most difficult diabetic cat to treat? The most difficult, like time oh. or, or the, the cat she can yeah. think yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, would, I don't know about the cat, but the, cat, the diabetic cat that has pancreatitis yes. and relaxing and waiting. Yes. Appetite. Yeah. Doesn't feel good part of the time yeah. or deep part of the time. Yeah. That was and my you, cat. You, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you've Susan. done all the, you've done all the sort of supportive care things. And yeah, that's. And they're up and down. Yeah. Yeah. So what but, do you do with them? Spray it. The best you can. Appetite stimulant. <laughs> and then you know, like yeah. every now and again, yeah. I will do yeah. a little whiff of glucocorticoids. Yeah. Whatever you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so I'm glad you said about the glucocorticoids because I and I did that with my own cat, you know, pancreatitis and IBD, and um, you know you would think you shouldn't be doing that, but but it helped him. Yeah, yeah. I know a small subject of cats, but uh, yeah, you can treat diabetic cats with oh. glucocorticoids. Oh I mean, my God, you're yeah. just, I'm so glad you said that too, right? Because. There's this, it's an absolute contraindication. Even if they're on a glucocorticoid. So, yeah. So, not in this step. Yeah, yes, exactly. Going back to the difficult to regulate diabetic yes. cats and vexiglaflozin, oh, yes. one of the exciting things I think about vexiglaflozin yeah. is that it appears to work very well in cats with acromegaly. So oh, I did not know that. All the way back to the beginning. Yeah. So, but those are not naive. They could be. Okay, so because we talked about it in the beginning. Yeah, but, yeah, but what, you know, if you have a cat that is not naive would you still, and, and it has acromegaly, would you still think about it? Well, it's a difficult thing to, I can't say that because the, the drug is approved for yeah, use yeah. in naive diabetic cats. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. so with acromegaly, right, my slides when I talk about acromegaly used mm -hmm. to say every single diagnosed, every single diagnosed cat was diabetic. Well, now you have to change that because they're not. Right. Because as we diagnosed it earlier and earlier, you get to the point where they compensate by making yeah, more they're insulin. They're not diabetic yet. Um, right. And so they may that's become, you know, um, yeah. and that's why screening, well, you know, so screening those cats, they may be naive diabetics, and some of them will have high IGF ones. And I've seen cats treated with Baxiglifosin where they were on the clinical trial. Right. And yeah. then the clinical trial ended. Yeah. And those owners had to go back to insulin yeah and those cats really worse. so why do you think they did better yeah i don't know the answer but it's answer. intriguing to me yeah yeah it's very intriguing and why I would they do know, i don't know the answer to that except huh. that yeah, I don't. Yeah, you know, I yeah, to be determined. Yeah, it's a new solution, so we'll find out oh, yeah. in due time. Like yeah. most newly introduced drugs, oh. now the interesting bit begins, right? Oh. 
as uh, people start doing studies and people start getting them um, help with it. Um, before I forget, I just wanted to ask you, in, in um, people who are diabetics, um, do they ever combine drugs together? They do. Yeah. In fact, they, um, so in humans, the gliflozins are approved for use in type 2 diabetic humans, but they are also added occasionally to insulin. Aren't they? Yeah, in type 1 diabetics, mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So in people, they have, you know, if you're a type 2 diabetic, you start up to improve glycemic control. Just better glycemic control. Because they're very focused on um, glycated proteins. So, yeah. You know, yeah. And because, and some of these um, gliflozins have really important benefits besides controlling the diabetes. That's right. Yeah. So they, they improve have other concurrent issues. Do they, they not? Heart, you know, right. Heart, heart complications. Heart complications. Um, better control of obesity, I think, yeah. was one of them. Yeah. yeah. Isn't this the drug that is also abused for people for obesity or no, that's a different drug. Well. That's yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of things mm. later. Yes, yeah. yeah. so it's kind of interesting that yeah. they could be almost symbiotic. Because yeah. in humans they start, you know, a type two diabetic, they start with metformin usually yeah. and they add sequential drugs. That's a very common approach. Yeah. Um and so I think it's less common in type one diabetics, mm. but I've seen I think there's some um, papers out there showing mm. showing that you can do that. So do you think there's sort of more um, options that we can at least test out for and from the human side? Do you, do you see a day when, you know, we may also be trying to well, combine? Well, there's a paper that Ola Mahoney published looking at combining Oh, I just saw that. And vexical That's yes. a Canadian vet journal. Yes, it's a Canadian vet yeah, journal. Yeah. I forgot yeah. about that. And so yes. you can. Like it literally just came out. Yeah, and it, you can. But, um, mm. you know, the, yeah. the when and when you should do that, the indications for doing that is all unclear. Yeah, well. yeah. yeah. And this is a great end of the okay. podcast for here again. So, yeah, this is wonderful. Thank I you mean, so much this, for this is this this is so great because once again, I I cannot emphasize it as much that everybody was asking for this. Yeah, and okay. we have this new drug coming out so that that a new solution to say. Uh, you so know, I, and I have to tell you that um, a lot of the podcast guests we invite because I have questions I need uh, answered. No. So I have a selfish motive in some of this. But um, yeah, but having had the ability like you to work with the drug before it came on the market, um, I mean, that's good, but they were also under really controlled circumstances, right? So right. that's, it, you know, it's time to talk about what else. Yeah. Yeah. And we yeah. definitely need to get you back to talk about the other really interesting endocrine things, <laughs> the other stuff. Yeah. 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 Now, I think we also need to revisit with you once uh, Mexico's been for a while. Yeah. We start to see that'd be a nice, a nice yeah. time point, right? Yeah. To yeah. pick up and see where we are. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, so, so that's it. us. Yes, that, that was the per podcast for this week yeah. at perpodcast.net. You can find more information. Uh, yes, sorry. we are uh, almost. Uh, uh, at the website, I just looked at it today. Yes, how far behind am I? I know I'm getting there. I know I'm getting. And then the numbering is confusing. So we, oh, we have not to not start with me. We have to redo this numbering. Don't so start with me. I'm gonna we'll figure it out. Oh, uh, we'll argue not, about that later. Problem for our audience, <laughs> uh, nor for our guests. No, but uh, this was the per podcast. You can get more information at per podcast uh, at per podcast on social media and at per podcast. So thank you very much. 
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.